0: Well, if you will uh, remain standing, you can remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, for those of you I've not met, my name is Josh, and uh, I serve as the lead pastor here, and I'm excited to get into what we have today. So let's, let's jump in. Our scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, like every week, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that we are a community who can gather around a spoken testimony about who you are, about the way that you work and what you have done in the world through Jesus Christ. I Thank you for your word. If we didn't have this word, our community would be nothing more than a social club. And none of us wants to give our life for something like that. We want to follow you. We want to know you. We, want to, we know that, that, that to know you is to have our heart thrilled. And so I pray today, God, as, as we talk about what the Bible is and how you call us to it and what it should mean in our life as a church and as Christians, I pray that your spirit would help us where, where we feel indifferent towards scripture, cold towards scripture, maybe even just a little separated from the practice of being in it. God, I pray that you would awaken desire in us that we would delight in your word, we would want to be in your word, and we know that that's not a want, that's not a desire that we can create for ourselves, and so would you today, God, would you unite your power with my weak words and give us all here together a sense of love for your word. We trust you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, this last week, I, fix this real quick, this last week, uh, my wife was a conference all week, uh, which means that I was home alone with our two kiddos, um, which means that the sermon was put together relatively quickly while kids were screaming in the background. So if we could be grace-oriented today, into the, that'd, that'd be great. So, uh, But yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was great. We have two kids. We have a three-year-old to turn four, uh, and then we also have a one-year-old son and usually, you know, I wouldn't feel super scared about it, but I was, a, I was a little, it was my first time being at home with, since we had two kids, being with them for an extended amount of time. And, uh, and it was great, except for those first 12 hours. Um, the first 12 hours was utter chaos, and not because of anything the kids did, but just because for some reason, I don't know what was wrong with my brain, but, but there were some things that happened that kind of ruined it. So to start it off, my, my wife left on Sunday night, Um, And then, you know, the kiddos, I put the kiddos down to sleep and I'm relaxing, I'm catching up on Loki, you know, like all having a good time. And, And then I go to take the trash out and just by force of habit, I walk the door. Um, 11 o'clock at this time and our neighbors, Kyle and Jess, are actually out of town too. So I'm completely alone, locked out of our house as the kids are sleeping. And so um, I'm checking all the windows and I'm thinking I'm going to I'm gonna have to break one of these because um, I can't let my kids sleep in there alone. Um, but thankfully, I won't tell you how because I don't want you to break into my house. Um, I found a way <laughs> to, to squeeze in. Let's just say it that way. Um, and then the next day, you know, we woke up, and uh, I had forgotten to put the, the screens back on the windows um, as I was trying to break into my house the night before, and so when I opened the windows that morning, um, there were a number of bees that flew in, um, which to my daughter might, might as well have been dragons. Um, it, it was utter chaos. And, and then finally, to, to cap it all off, like 10 minutes after that, I was like, you know, we just need to get out of the house. Uh, let's go to Starbucks or something, get Margot a cake pop because she loves it. Um, and, and so I'm I, I, getting the kiddos ready. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to use the restroom before we go. Uh, and so I go to go to the restroom and I realize that the door is locked. Um, and no one's in there, but I, I got to use the restroom. Also, this is like kind of our only restroom and our, our daughter is still potty training. So this thing, I got to get this thing open. And uh, we live in an old house and the, the doorknob is really old. Um, it has one of those holes that it looks like. You should be able to unlock it, um, but you it looks like someone dug a knife into it in order to open it up, so it doesn 't feel super sure and i 'm sitting there, I have my knife out, and i 'm like right here and i 'm trying to pop what looks like this pin that that will unlock the door and It seems like I almost got it it 's turning it 's turning, and then it pops like this, and this piece of metal just shink right into my eye and and it was it was sharp um, and I, I immediately back up and i 'm like covering my eye and it was a terrible scene. Margot is super concerned. She thinks I have a big owie because I, like, for 30 minutes straight, just have my eye covered like this, trying to care for the kids, trying to, like, see if I can get this piece of metal out of my eye while tears streamed down, and uh, it, was, it was utter chaos. Um, you would, I felt like a 17-year-old kid who had never been around kids before and just decided to, like, adopt two of them out of the blue. Um, but, you know... Being a preacher, I'm always looking for illustration. And as I was sitting there with my eye covered, unable to really see, freaking out, thinking that what if I, what if I am half blind? Am, am I going to have to listen to audiobooks? Um, that sounds terrible. I'm a purist. Um, <laughs> it's okay. If you listen to audiobooks, it's fine. It's just a podcast, but that's fine. But I'm freaking out, and then I, I hit, it hits me. It's like, oh, this is perfect for Sunday. <laughs> Because the truth is, is that, that for us as Christians, we really have two things given to us by God in order to see the world and in order to, to live out our life as disciples. We have, we have two eyes, one of, one of which is the Holy Spirit, that each of us as Christians have, have been given the Holy Spirit who leads us and who guides us and energizes our discipleship. But to have the Spirit alone is actually not enough. We need the word of God. The word of God is this second eye that we have through which we we see our Christian life. And even the Holy Spirit himself who inspired this word, his work and his activity in us is directly tied to this word. And so we we need both eyes. If we're going to walk in the Christian life faithfully and fruitfully and make it to the end, we cannot just depend on on the Holy Spirit as if his work and his activity is separate from this word of God. But the truth is, like me with that little knife, much of us have a self-inflicted wound by which we cannot see the Christian life clearly, clear enough at least. We might depend on the Spirit every now and then. We might, you know, we might pray or even during worship, we might really, really sincerely ask that the Spirit of God would, would help us would, would encourage us, would, would give us faith. All the while, we have this self-inflicted wound on our other eye because we just neglect the word of God. But for us as Christians, and for us as a church, we've got to give ourselves to this word. We've got to be grounded by scripture. There's no way for us to make it. Like I said in my prayer, if we don't have this, we're nothing more than a social club, that meets together on Sunday mornings. And I would, if that's what we're doing here, I would rather go watch football. Right? Anybody else? That's what I'd rather be doing. But by God's by God's grace, He's given us His word for us to focus on, for us to ground ourselves in. So today we're gonna to look at this scripture in Psalm 1 and talk about what it might what it means to be grounded by Scripture. So let's let's jump in. Verse 1. Blessed is the man or woman. Now, the psalmist starts off with this language of a of, of blessing. And it's a language of invitation. And before we get into everything else, I want us to hear today what that invitation is. So th- this word blessed, it's not being used in the same way that, that we use it in our culture. Um, we say that, that we are blessed because we have A certain amount in the bank account, or because we have a certain amount of people around the dinner table. And although those things certainly are blessings, that's different than what the psalmist is talking about here. His usage of of the word blessed is not meant to convey a thing that we receive, but but a state of being that we inhabit. What what he means is that this is the place, this is the state of, of flourishing of wholeness, of, of wellness. Whole, well is the man or woman who does what I'm about to commend. So the invitation is into something that we're all looking for. A state of wholeness or bliss that, that's durable, that, that, that can actually last, it's, it's long-lasting. That's, that's the invitation that the psalmist is gonna lead us into. So he's got our attention. What, how do we actually get this invitation of blessing? How do we answer that? Well, the first way to this blessedness or this wholeness is through avoidance, right? That's kind of what he shows it. But avoidance of what? Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what what the psalmist starts off with for us to, to reach this state of, of flourishing or of wholeness, first, we've got to know what we cannot be giving ourselves to. And he kind of gives this ascending order of intensity, this ascending order of intensity around how the world seeks to disciple us, right? And you see that ascending order, don't you? First, we're, we're walking, you know walking with the wicked, which means we're kind of, we're not necessarily doing something yet, but we're just kind of considering it. We're we're putting ourselves in the place where if I wanted to do this, I could. And then finally, we're standing in the way of sinners. This is when we actually know that we move from considering evil to actually practicing it. We stand in the way that they are going. And then finally, worst of all, In its most intense state, we are joining, we are sitting down with scoffers. We are sitting down with those who are actually not just practicing evil, but also mocking and scoffing those who they deem as innocent. What fools are they to not give themselves to this great sin? It's this ascending order of intensity. It's kind of like whenever, so when I, I moved from Texas a year and a half, And when I first came to uh, Seattle, actually the day that I moved here, um, was the day that CHOP was removed from Capitol Hill. Um, And so, of course, for me, you know, I'd seen it on the news quite a bit. And so I was, I want to go check it out. I want to go see what it was. And uh, I went over there one night and um, there happened to be a protest going. And by the way, what I'm about to say, I'm not making any political statement whatsoever. I'm just trying to make an illustration. So please calm down. Okay. (laughs) I go to see this protest. And, you know, Seattle protests, they get pretty wild, right? Um, and, and I'm, and I'm there and I'm, I'm just, I'm just watching it because I'm curious. I'm curious about what's going on. And so I'm kind of on the sidewalk, you know, it's going on over here. There's a difference between me standing there and considering joining them and then actually going in and joining them, standing in the way they are and then joining them and what they're saying. Joining them, as I, as I hear them mock and scoff, there, there's a difference. There's an ascending order of intensity, and that's what the psalmist is, is talking about today. But I said specifically here, the ascending order of intensity in the way the world is seeking to disciple us. That's what the psalmist is trying to warn you to avoid. The way the, the, the writer lays out this ascending order. It's as if he assumes that there's going to constantly be the option to be caught up in this swirl, (laughs) to be be caught up. You're always going to have the option to be this, to walk this way, to stand this way, to sit this way. You will be invited into that just existing in the world. You, You will be invited to become a disciple. Not a disciple of Jesus, but a disciple of the world. This standing, this sitting, is always going to be an invitation for you as you live your real life in Seattle. I hope you see that. I hope you know that you are always being discipled. that that you are not a, a free agent moral being who is able to determine the direction and the flavor of your life simply by being you, simply by the free choices you make. Rather, you are at all times being invited into something. You are being invited into how the world thinks. Everything you see from marketing campaigns, to political stump speeches, to the show you're binge-watching on Netflix. It's trying to get you to see in a certain way. It's trying to get you to, to believe something, to, to hold on to something. It's this swirl, this swirl that's trying to, to pull you in. And that's the first reason why we need to be grounded by Scripture. Because if you are not grounded by scripture, you will be discipled and not in the way of Jesus. You will be caught up in something. You will be allured by something. You will be taught something. And soon enough, you will find yourself in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. If I go back to my illustration about my eye, (laughs) you are constantly being told how to see. You're being shaped in what to see and how to see it. And so the psalmist, before he talks about anything else, he commends the practice of intentional avoidance. He says that a man or woman who is, is whole is, is flourishing comprehensively well when they avoid, when they're aware of the ascending order of intensity that this swirl of the world is trying to disciple you in. So, he offers that negative and then a positive. He says this, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, or the instruction of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So here we see the, the real meat of what it means to be grounded by Scripture, the, the, the type of grounding that leads us into flourishing. Being grounded by Scripture is not first an intellectual conviction about the truthfulness of Scripture, though it is that. <laughs> Being grounded in Scripture is not first the discipline of regular Bible reading, though, of course, as we see from the psalmist, that is the result that we get. He meditates on it day and night. No, being grounded by Scripture before anything else has to do with delight, has to do with, with what you want. Is there a thrill in your heart, as, as faint as it might be at certain times, Is there or is there not a thrill in your heart at the possibility, at the invitation of knowing God through his word? That's the question. That's the question we have to answer before we ever really embody this value of being grounded by scripture, is delight. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, there's a lot of different scriptures that I could have chosen for this week. The the Bible talks about itself, what it it is and what it's for in a lot of different places. But I I chose this text for this specific reason. If we are going to be grounded by Scripture and bear up against the forceful winds of a changing culture, we first have to deal with whether we want the Bible or not. Whether we delight it. Do we enjoy it? Do we want it? Because listen, drive through Seattle and you'll find a number of churches that have punted on the Christian faith. You'll drive through and see all kinds of Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian churches that have punted on the historic Christian faith. And I want to say to you today that I don't think that happened or that started at least, because they all of a sudden started coming up with with paltry answers to the questions that our culture is asking. No, that that drift starts when delight in God's word has left a church, when it's no longer there. Becoming a flighty, ooey-gooey, spiritually ambiguous church does not start just with historical doctrines getting redressed in order to appease a changing world. That's not how it starts. That's where it goes, but it starts with a loss of delight. They caved because they lost a craving for God's good word, they no longer delighted in it. And that, that's true for you as well as, a, as an individual Christian. That's true of churches, but that's also true of you as an individual disciple. We have got to analyze our desires and and really see what it is that we're wanting. Is there anything here that invokes desire? Is there anything there? Because in the same way that some of those churches have left the Christian faith, many Christians or disciples have, you know, done something that is word now, deconstructed their faith. And now, I do want to say, I do think there is such a thing as healthy deconstruction. I think every generation in some way needs to deconstruct what they've received from the previous generation. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we are receiving gospel truth or even church practices. We're receiving that from a generation that's flawed and sinful just as we are. And so every generation in some way needs to to re-up on what's actually here. But there's a difference between that. There's a difference between healthy deconstruction that leads to a pure faith and an unhealthy deconstruction that leads to you punting the faith. Unhealthy deconstruction is energized by transferring our delight away from God's spoken word and placing that delight in any given idol of our culture. That's how it happens. That's been my experience, at least. As I've I've had friends or acquaintances who I know have deconstructed the faith, that seems where it starts. They just lose it. This loses its flavor, its its appeal. And so they they change that delight for some given idol of the culture the the utter religious devotion to rationalism that, that makes us nothing more than brains on a stick, right? Or the idol of radical autonomy and personal freedom that confuses us enough to think that we can remake what it means to be human. All of that starts with a loss of delight. That's where it begins. If you want to lose your faith, start delighting in idols more than the Word of God. But if you want to keep your faith, in fact, if you want to experience even the the wholeness and the flourishing that this psalmist talks about, Delight yourself in the word of God. That's how we get there. That's what we need. Now, at this point, it makes sense for us to ask this question, why? <laughs> why? So, okay, so I get it. There's a way of flourishing and there's, some, uh, there's a way of the world that wants to disciple me and I need to avoid that swirl and I need to delight in God's word. But why is the word of God even worthy of delight in the first place? Is it just a Christian thing? Is it just something I should delight in because I'm a Christian and I should say that I want it even though in reality I don't really care? Why, why is scripture worthy of delight? Two reasons. One is just the fact of what it is. The Bible is God's spoken testimony about who he is and what he's done in the world. It's it's the testimony of a God who opens up his character, who opens up his heart and shows how he acts towards human beings. Is that not worthy of, delight, of, of at least desire? That there's this God who, who's created us, and, and knowing Him is the relationship that is engineered to thrill the human heart. And that relationship is built upon this word, this self testimony of God. Surely that's worthy of our delight. Surely, surely that's worthy of at least piquing our interest. But then more than that, the second reason why the Word of God is worthy of our delight, worthy of, being, of grounding ourselves in, is because it's actually effective. <laughs> it actually does some things. It, it's, not, it's not just an old book. It's not just words that have been preserved throughout history that are kind you know that kind of hold the, the truths of the Christian faith. Great. but no, it's not inert. It is a live. It is alive and works. And we see this even, you know, coincidentally, all throughout the Bible. That when God speaks, when he says something, things actually happen. You see that when God creates the world, God doesn't even get his hands going, he just speaks a word and light comes into being. Everything comes into being that we see and that we know. God spoke it into being just by by means of his word. Or you see that in the the book of Isaiah, where God is talking about when he sends out his word, it's going to accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. God's words are on purpose, and they always accomplish a purpose. Or Jesus in the Gospels. You know, there's many times when he's healing someone that that he touches them or does this, but it's always interesting to me whenever he's in the Gospels raising Lazarus from the dead, all he says is, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't get in there, he doesn't open the tomb, he doesn't unwrap Lazarus, he simply says, hey Lazarus, I'm telling you to get out, and he gets out. The word of God is effective, it, it actually does some things, and we, we see that even in this, in this psalm, right? Right? What is it, what is, how does he describe the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the psalmist himself describes this, this person who's delighting himself in the word of God, of God's spoken testimony about himself, and that's actually making him into a certain type of person. It's making him into the certain type of person who's planted, like like a tree planted by streams of water, planted by the very thing it needs to, to be nourished. And then as that happens this tree, this person, actually begins to bear fruit. It yields its fruit in its season. So because of the word of God, this this is not an unproductive tree that simply enjoys the stream it's nourished by, but rather it's a tree that produces fruit and at the right time, indeed, in the right season. And then what I think is most stunning, the effect of delighting in God's word, its leaf does not wither. Stability, resilience, endurance, durability, the ability to make it through. This is one of the things that stands out in this psalm to me, that this, this effect of God's word, that God's word actually does some things. It's worthy of delight because it does some things. And one of the things it does is give us endurance. Anybody else here in need of that? Anybody else tapped out, and it feels like the, you've hit a ceiling in your durability, as a human or as a Christian. You need some, the last two years have shown you just how unresilient you are. Well, the psalmist here says, delight yourself in the word of God. Delight yourself in the word of God because it's going to produce in you the endurance that you need, the durability and the resilience that you need to make it through as a Christian. Surely that's worthy of our delight. Surely that's worthy of our delight. This is the way of being grounded by scripture, is through delight. And as we delight in things, we protect them, right? Or at least we protect our time with them. And I want to exhort you today, just kind of beginning to land the plane, make time. Protect your time in this word. Take it, take it seriously. Make it an appointment on your calendar that you never miss. That's what, the psalmist, that's what this person does, right? They meditate on the Bible day and night. That's what we need. And hey, listen, to say that we should be reading our Bible every day or at least consistently, that's not legalism. That's discipleship, okay? That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who's formed, who's giving themselves to following Jesus. We protect our time with it. We take it seriously because we know what it is. It's like I was, I was reading, I have this uh, subscription email that comes through called by this company called Atlas Obscura. It's just a bunch of stuff that's super obscure that I really love. And one of the things that it talked in this uh, email this last week was this thing in, uh, just outside of Paris, called the La Grand K. Seth, did I say that right? Is that close? You know French. I know you do. I took French in high school, but the Le Grand K. and And what this is, is this little chunk of platinum that for a little bit over a century was the defining weight of what a kilogram was. And so right now, I mean, they've moved on to more modern type of ways to uh, measure a kilogram to, to keep the, the notes on what it is. But for a century, it was this little chunk of platinum that the rest of the world, except for the US, right? We do our own thing. The, the, the rest of the world said, this is what a kilogram is. This little piece of metal, and this little piece of metal, even to this day, even though it's not used like it used to be, is is kept under lock and key. Like it is, it's under like three levels of a basement, and there are three separate keys that all have to be used at once in order to open it. And at all times, one of those keys is outside of the country. (laughs) That they wanted to protect this thing. Because they knew that if we don't have this, we don't know what a kilogram really is. It gets fuzzy. We won't have a standard by which to measure everything else. And that is how we should be treating the word of God. That it is this standard. It is this constant reference point around what the Christian life is. And we should treasure it so much, want it so much, that we actually protect it. We protect our time with it. We take it seriously because we know it's what we need. And if we lose that, if we lose what this scripture is, can do for us, then it's going to lead to all kinds of confusion. And so we need to, to take this seriously. To ground ourselves in scripture to let it be a reference point that we are always protecting in our calendars. We're actually giving ourselves in real life to its practice. And we're letting the Bible shape us. To be grounded by Scripture means that we shape our lives around the Bible and not the other way around. It means we let the Bible read us, and man, does it do that. Read who you are, where you still are in your discipleship, and the great hope of the gospel. That, if anything else, that, that alone is the reason we should give ourselves to this great word as a church and as individual disciples, because it's from this word that we hear the wonderful news of the gospel. It's from this place. We center our lives here. We ground our lives here because here we hear the words of life and we don't walk away from it. It's like the, the disciples in the Gospels. There, there, there comes a moment in the story of the Gospels where, where Jesus had said some really controversial things like he often did. And a lot of the disciples just ended up leaving him. A lot of the, a lot of the people who had, had been following him were like, you know what, this is getting too weird. I'm out. And Jesus turns to his disciples, the 12, and he says, do you want to leave as well? And Peter, on behalf of the rest of the 12, says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's the place. That's the conviction that we need to have around this great word. That we stay here, we don't leave, we don't go, because in the end we know, where else am I going to go? Lord, here we have the words of life. So as a church, let us give ourselves to this, protect our time with it, and shape our lives around the Bible, and not the other way around. If we do that, we have a chance of being an actual faithful church here in our context for God's great glory. Let's pray. Father, I I want to praise you that you are not a God who is silent, that deism is a lie. You're not a God who's far off. You're not a God who's unconcerned, but you are a God who moves and acts in our lives And you have shown us, you've, by your own initiative, have opened yourself to us to know you, to love you, to understand you and even relate to you through your word. And so I I pray today, God, that we as Christians, we as Icon Church, God, that our hearts would expand with desire for your word. That it would be something that we protect and look to and treasure, not because it's the Christian thing to do, but it's because the way, uh, it's the way of flourishing. It's the way of life. It's the words of life. So would you give us, God, a sense of urgency, a sense of desire and delight in your word. And as we read your word, as we prioritize this great book. God, would you act in our hearts? Would you act upon us in shaping us to be pleasing in your sight, to be all the more dependent and trusting in the ways and works that you've done and that you're still doing? Give us that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.